Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Dr. Bill McGraw. Uh, He's the author of a book called Mercury, The Ultimate Truth and Chronic Disease. So we're going to talk about his book. Um, Dr. McGraw is originally from Pennsylvania. He has uh, two degrees from Pennsylvania, as well as a PhD in aquaculture from Auburn University in Alabama. He's worked in a couple countries, such as New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and now Panama, where he's been a resident for 10 plus years. And he's been uh, healing people from chronic disease by assisting them with heavy metal removal. So I'm going to go into his work. So, Bill, thanks for coming. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Richard. Yeah, tell me, how did you first realize that um, mercury was out there and it was a problem and it was affecting people's health? Yeah, this uh, is the story of my own personal journey. 15 years ago, I'm working in South Africa, and I develop insomnia, and naturally I go to the doctor eventually, and they give me prescription drugs, and then I go see 10 more doctors over the next uh, at least uh, eight years, and they're just giving me more prescriptions, hooking me up to machines, and giving me foot baths, and uh, I had to put bats in the whole nine yards and they can't figure out what's wrong with me. I keep telling them, look, it's just insomnia. Can you help me out here? And they never could. So it got to the point where I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning all the time and even developing anxiety. So it got to the point I realized I had to fix myself. So I started reading every book I could find on medicine and every article of research paper I could find I read. And of course I had been doing research and science for decades and so I knew all about research so finally determined that I had a mineral deficiency it was a physiological response uh, to develop insomnia and anxiety and so once I started supplementing with magnesium and potassium the anxiety immediately went away and my insomnia got better and so for the next challenge for me was to discover well where did the mineral deficiencies come from I didn't always have them and I finally discovered that I had mercury toxicity from a hair test. And that's when I looked further at mineral deficiencies. And I started looking at, you know, where did all this mercury come from and how did I become mercury toxic? And this just started one thing after another. Once I started researching, I just couldn't stop. And it resulted in a 500 source 400 page book. And it took me a year working 12 hours a day to write. So uh, how did you come around to the realization that um, to test your hair that you may have mercury poisoning? Yeah, this was because I wanted to look at a hair test for mineral deficiencies. And I discovered, yeah, you know, I was low in calcium, magnesium, potassium, as expected. And then I saw the heavy metal panel and it looked like I had mercury. And so I began detoxing from mercury. And then I had another test a year or two later. And uh, my mercury levels were absolutely off the chart. And I'm still detoxing from mercury now as it takes years really to get all the mercury out of your body. Because it attaches to sulfur on proteins and everybody's full of proteins. And as it tends to just get recirculated rather than being uh, excreted out of the body unless you aggressively, aggressively treat it. Where did the mercury come from in you in particular? And then we'll talk about, you know, normal, I mean, typical sources of it. Right. So for you, where, where did it come uh-huh. from? Yeah, so we go all the way back to the beginning. I was born with the mercury burden from my mother who was also mercury toxic. 
And then, of course, I received vaccines that had mercury, and I had mercury 10, and mercury not been killing for 25 years. I grew up in a house that burned coal 365 days a year for heat and hot water. And of course, coal is the second biggest mercury input into the atmosphere of all time. So if you're around coal, you're inhaling mercury vapor, and that goes, of course, right through the blood-brain barrier, changes into an ionic form and gets stuck inside the brain. And evidence of that is the fact that one out of every, every elderly person is going to die of Alzheimer's disease currently. And that is from mercury toxicity and the limbic portions of the brain. And so uh, those were all the conditions, uh, that's, those were all the sources where my mercury came from. I was also eating a lot of fish at the time. And so carnivorous fish like tuna, and so that just added to it. And of course I had uh, 12 uh, vaccines before I went to South Africa. Some of them mandatory, but at the time I just said, well, just give me what you have. And they did, and a lot of them contained uh, mercury as an adjuvant, which is supposed to stimulate the immune system. It's also supposed to be used as a preservative, but it, it doesn't really kill bacteria. It's a bacteriostatic that prevents the growth of bacteria, but it's, it's not a bactericidal, bactericide, which kills bacteria. You gave a very quick stat about the number of people that get Alzheimer's. Can you yes. repeat that stat? And then uh -huh. I want to ask you about the vaccines you got. Uh, when you got them, etc. Right. Okay. So one out of every three elderly people is currently dying from Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's disease. I worked with Alzheimer's patients like about 20 years ago in a long-term care center, and I got to see the disease firsthand. And what was the next question was about vaccines in South Africa. So this is going to be about two years before I came down from South Africa. I had these 12 vaccines before I went to those things like yellow fever and God, I have known God the amount of stuff. I don't remember all the things. It was a long time. It was 15 years ago. But I just asked them to give me whatever vaccines they had available that they think would help protect me from whatever diseases I was going to face in South Africa. And so they just gave me, I said, they said 12. I said, well, okay, that's all right. I didn't know anything about working and vaccines at the time. It's uh, not something that's readily, information isn't readily available about mercury. After all, when you get uh, mercury amalgam fillings, no one ever says, no one ever said mercury amalgam. They say amalgams. You have no idea that 50% of the mercury mountain filling is actually mercury. If I knew that, I would have never got them because nobody thinks that mercury is so good for them. The reason why I asked you about the vaccines is that, was it long ago? Do vaccines still have mercury in them or has it been taken out? Was this a long okay. time ago? Okay, yeah. So this is uh, going back, this would have been about 2005 before I went to South Africa. And the 12, the 12 vaccines I received, most of them very likely contained mercury back then. Uh, mercury was a regular used adjuvant. It's been around since 1930. Mercury been used in, in vaccines, and so now less so. I believe they're now putting aluminum in vaccines, which is far more lethal. But back then, in 2005, mercury was still used as an adjuvant uh, pretty prominently. And right now, it's hard to say. I mean, where do you get your information in regards to uh, vaccines and what's really in them? It's hard to say what vaccines contain mercury and what don't. Supposedly, the governmental agencies have put out notices saying that. Uh, companies are required to not to use uh, mercury as an adjuvant for vaccines or, or as a preservative, but it's hard to say. Yeah, I thought it was called thimerosal. I don't know right. if it had any, any other trade names, but so if someone's going to get vaccinated, and I don't think anyone asks, but could you ask? And would the, the person giving you the vaccine even know if there's mercury uh, yeah. in it or not? How do you find out? Right, so thimerosal is the you know brand name given to the the adjuvant containing mercury, absolutely. It's better than contain, say it's mercury because people would have to would start raising questions and mercury, I, I can have that with my body. So you give it a fancy name like that, Marisol, and oh, away we go. 
Uh, you have every right to ask what's in a vaccine in terms of a preservative or an adjuvant. You'd really have to ask, and then you're going to have to do research on your own. Look what happened to me. It was my responsibility to fix my insomnia and my anxiety. No doctor, no medical doctor or naturopathic doctor can help me. Not even one mentioned it. Look, hey, maybe it's like the adjuvant. It's just the information that's not out there. It's not promoted. It's, it can't be found in any kind of major media, any, any media outlet. You really have to dig into these uh, books that aren't really promoted on things like Amazon and so on. So you really have to dig and do the research and get into uh, research papers and then uh, go from there. And there are some YouTube videos out there. People really talk about uh, mercury. Uh, Dr. Chris Shade is one. He, he really goes into uh, how mercury uh, creates toxicity and how to get it out of your body. I learned a lot from him over the years. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. So if you have excess mercury in your body, what are some of the ways to uh, knock it down? And- yeah, right. Uh, that's a, probably the best question we're going we're gonna to talk about. Uh, one of the ways is sweat therapy. If you, we go all the way back, uh, early 1900s, we go to the Almaden in Spain. Uh, this is the, in Almaden, Spain, is the biggest mercury mine in the world. And uh, some of the mercury miners are going to become toxic. And what do they do? Well, the mercury mi- miners have a way of saying, go get detox. They say, go to the beach. You have to go to the beach. And the beach for them is a room full of infrared heaters where these guys go in and walk around and sweat. And sweat therapy goes on for many hours a day. And that is one of the ways you get rid of mercury out of the body is through sweating. And get rid of all your toxins out of the body through sweat therapy. And after all, the skin is really the third kidney. And it's a great way to get rid of all the toxins, but it takes time. The second way is very likely liposomal vitamin C, liposomal glutathione. Now, glutathione is the body's natural chelator, natural antioxidant. So 80% of all the mercury in your body is normally removed with gastrointestinal tract every single day of your life. But it has to be chelated. It has to have some sort of compound that's going to grab onto it, pull it off the sulfur on proteins that's in your body. And this is a glutathione transfer enzyme. It attaches to glutathione and carries around your body through a, a protein lipid carrier, which is a natural part of your diet. And then eventually it goes through the liver, through the gallbladder, gets pushed into the gastrointestinal tract. And you get rid of it every day through normal excretion processes. And so that is a great way to get rid of mercury out of your body. You can even get liposomal EDTA now, which also pulls out heavy metals. And that's how you get rid of them. Uh, 80% of all metals is normally moved through the gastrointestinal tract. Another, about 15% is normally gotten rid of through the kidney. But oftentimes what happens is 80% of all the mercury in your body is stored in the kidney. And it damages the kidney by attaching to something called a metallothiamine. And that's a protein-containing sulfur, and the mercury attaches it and renders it useless. So uh, mercury tends to build up in the kidneys and damages the kidney. And so we have sweat therapy, we have glutathione. And the third way is probably intestinal binders, such as chlorella, spirulina, activated carbon, and clays. 
And one of the reasons for that, why it's so effective is that mercury has a tendency to travel around with these lipoproteins or these carrier protein fats to the body. And as the body's digesting fats, the fats can be reabsorbed through a portal vein back into the liver. And eventually the mercury can be reabsorbed into the body. So it's good to have an intestinal binder which binds the mercury so it can be excreted. And that's, you know, your chlorella. The algae have a tendency to really hang out to the mercury. Also yeast does too. And the chlorella spirulina activated carbon is always a good part of detox because it tends to grab onto toxins uh, very tightly and you'll excrete them eventually. Unfortunately, as I said, it normally takes years for a serious mercury toxic person to pull all the mercury out of the tissues. Remember 8% in the kidney, 10-15% in the liver and about 5-10% to in the brain. You have to pull that mercury, pull it off the sulfur on the proteins, and then attach it to a carrier protein, which has got a chelator, such as glutathione, but there's others, a more old school protein, old school chelators, DMSA, DMPS, and so on. Attach the mercury and then pull it out off the proteins, and then it's got to be carried uh, down through the gastrointestinal tract. So those are three ways to recommend would be the sweat therapy, the liposome, the glutathione, and okay. of course the intestinal binders. So as I'm listening, I, I know people that, you know, have had their gallbladder removed, yep. so their, uh, you know, their ability to emulsify fats sure. changes or I guess is impaired. Right. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have fatty liver. What are some of the conditions that people have that exacerbate mercury toxicity if they have? Oh, boy. Uh, unfortunately, the entire industrialized world is full of uh, inflammation, and that's everything from uh, GMOs to toxins like glyphosate, which are you know, just about all sources of water and in all of our foods, and these just bring on increased inflammation. So one of the big problems with mercury is it creates a vast amount of inflammation, creating pain, interfering with digestion. Like I mentioned, uh, Alzheimer's, it gets into the brain, it destroys uh, neural networks, it decreases neurotransmitters such as dopamine, right, which what causes Parkinson's disease. It gets into the cerebellum. The cerebellum is responsible for motor skills inflammation. And this is what causes the Parkinson's, which is also on the rise. And so all these different diseases are caused by inflammation. So, you know, some of the things that will cause a problem is fatty liver that doesn't produce a lot of glutathione stress, which decreases glutathione. The way you increase glutathione is through antioxidants like vitamin C. And there are others out there uh, that you can take to boost the glutathione. But all these inflammatory foods that we eat, processed uh, meats, the processed oils, oils contain all kinds of prilamides and, and and uh, oxidized compounds, these oils that are on the shelves for months at a time. So really to change your diet, uh, to make it better to excrete mercury is a good idea. And that's excluding GMOs, processed meats, uh, the, the processed oils, uh, processed foods most certainly, and to eat more organic uh, fruits and vegetables for sure. Because you have to have good functioning gastrointestinal tract Right, regularly excreting every day mercury because that's how it happens a little bit at a time. It's a marathon and not a not a sprint, and so you really have to clean up your diet and supplementation, like I like I mentioned. Uh, what about enemas? Do you think that that might help in certain circumstances periodically? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Yeah, it, you know the hydrotherapies are good with the with the coffee, the coffee colonics, and all that have their place. They seem to activate the liver and promote it to reduce, or I'm sorry, release toxins into the bowel. And you can't get rid of toxins that way. I think that's a good thing. I've done it myself over time, and and people that can get into that 
it's a good idea, but uh, definitely not a replacement for those other three things that I mentioned. Well, the reason why I mentioned it is you said if mercury tends to go through the digestive system, mm -hmm. then I thought a periodic yeah. enema may help you, you know? Well, yes, but it's still attached to those uh, sulfur on, on different uh, chelators, and you still have to have those chelators. Otherwise, it's just going to be reabsorbed if it's not really attached to sulfur and that carrier protein that's going to carry it through the gastrointestinal tract. Otherwise, it very likely can be reabsorbed. So what, what is chelation? Chelation, the, the word means actually chelate, which means like a claw, to grab onto, to hold onto, and uh, chelators contain sulfur. So even things like garlic, uh, it can be a chelator because it will grab onto that mercury. Mercury is really attached to sulfur, not only in the body, but also in the environment. And so a chelator needs to, to claw or to grab onto and hold onto, uh, hopefully for at least six hours to carry it out of the intestinal tract. Some of the chelators only attach for a few hours. The old school chelators like the DMSA and stuff. You have to be careful because they'll grab onto the mercury, leave it go, and it'll be redistributed and cause all kinds of problems. It gets into the brain causes short-term memory loss and what they call brain fog. It distributes into joints and muscle tissue and, and irritates nerves and causes a lot of inflammation, which activates the immune system uh, and creates an inflammatory response. And this inflammatory response has tend to be recycled in the body, which creates a continually inflammatory effect. So it's really difficult to get rid of mercury. The best way is to just prevent it by avoiding the fish and seafood that contains mercury. That's one of the biggest inputs. And avoiding mercury map and pilling mercury and vaccines. And, you know, stay away from coal burning power plants and burning coal in the home and, and so on. All those things contribute to mercury overload in the body. Well, what if you have uh, one or more old fillings that are probably mercury? Uh, should you take them out or would yeah. that cause more trouble than leaving them in? No, you should definitely get rid of your mercury amalgam fillings eventually. There are dentists that are very uh, hip, uh, very switched on to. The proper way to get rid of mercury is going to be by putting in a dam, a rubber dam, inside uh, the mouth, which prevents the uh, mercury amalgams as they're drilled out of your teeth. They create f uh, fines and, and bits and pieces that get trapped in the rubber dam so they can be siphoned off. And you also have proper uh, vacuum ventilation to absorb all the mercury vapors. You can take um, things like uh, activated carbon when you're getting your mercury amalgam fillings out. But part of the problem is that the mercury itself is releasing vapor that goes right in through past the blood-brain barrier into the brain. It gets trapped there. It also creates problems by activating nerves. And so the mercury can travel along the nerves up straight up into the brain. It's sort of like a battery. After all, what is two metals separated by a salt solution? A battery. So it, it has a sense to create a variety of different problems, having these uh, heavy metals in your mouth. And there's other toxic metals in the in the mercury amalgam as well, such as tin, which are just no darn good for you. And so, you you know, 45% of dental restorations are still have are used mercury amalgams. But yet, you know, there are plastic and ceramic composites, which are about a thousand times less toxic to the human body. And, so there's no reason why not to, to get your mercury amalgams removed and have them replaced with these composites, which are uh, equally as effective in staying in your teeth and filling in holes in your teeth and so on, and, and a whole lot less toxic. But if you've had a filling for like 10, 20, 30 years, yeah. is it still leaching mercury into you? Right. Most of the mercury is very likely leached out, something like 80% over 10 years. However, I still say it's a good idea to get them out and get them 
replace. It's not that difficult for a dentist to drill out the mercury and replace it with the composite. I had 10, my 10 mercury amalgams taken out probably three visits. They're able to one side at a time. And it really wasn't that any bigger deal than, than getting a regular filling, quite honestly. And they had ventilation and they had a rubber dam and the whole bit. And uh, so I was very happy to get them out because there's still other uh, toxic uh, metals in the mercury amalgam besides mercury. Stuff that will still cause inflammation, still cause metal deficiencies. Of course, mercury takes the place of important metals in your body, such as zinc and uh, copper and calcium and magnesium and so on. It takes the place of them and prevents the utilization, transfer, and absorption of the good metals. That's why mercury toxic people are often deficient in zinc. And we can go into that further and say, well, there's a lot of people that are deficient in zinc. In fact, we recommend you take zinc. Uh, to get over the coronavirus. Well, people had that zinc deficiency a long time before they got any viral infections. And zinc deficiencies just don't happen overnight. They happen over years from heavy metal toxicity. And they just, the heavy metals again prevent the absorption, the transfer, and the utilization of the good metals in your body. They'll just take the place of it. And they cause all kinds of problems because once mercury attaches to sulfur on a protein, it renders that protein ineffective. And the big example, of course, is mercury attaching to sulfur on hemoglobin. Hemoglobin, of course, is responsible for transferring oxygen around the human body. So that's why people are developing such increased cases of chronic fatigue. It's because that mercury is attaching to that hemoglobin, and you're just carrying a whole lot less oxygen around the body. You're tired all the time. That's one of the reasons for the chronic fatigue syndrome. Tell me about your particular journey then. What did you do, and how did you feel afterwards? Because you said it takes years. So. Right. I'm I would think you might have a mental diary of what happened over time. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I'm still dumping mercury out of my body because I've had it all my life. When I was young, I had bad uh, headaches, uh, and I had uh, chronic fatigue problems and all sorts of things growing up. For me, I, you know, when I started sweating, deep sweats, working in the summer heat in Panama, I would, start, I would sweat like for three days straight while working in this house in the heat. I remodeling uh, the house that we have in a different section of town. And, and uh, I would find after three days of heavy sweating, I'd have this intense pain. My whole body would ache. And so that's really when the really intense detoxification started when we get rid of mercury. We have to be careful because it can make you sick. And so from there, I got into intestinal binders and I got into you know vitamin C therapies. And one thing I didn't mention is selenium. Selenium forms a compound called mercury seminide. And itself is a chelator. It's a compound that can lock up mercury where you can remove it out of your body. And this is the big way that whales deal with mercury. Mercury is definitely correlated with selenium concentrations in whales and actually accumulate selenium and attach it to the mercury to get rid of it out of the body. After all, they have a lot more mercury in their, in their bodies than we do because they all they eat is seafood right being in the ocean. So they have a big problem with it. Right now, whales being strand, dying from stranding are increasing by uh, 20 times. Uh, they're straining themselves ever since 2005. Because, and one of the reasons is because of the increase of mercury. Whales have 80 to 230 times more mercury in their body when they're stranded than those that aren't stranded. So mercury is a big problem for them too. Oh. I guess that's a bit of a long story. Cool. That's part of uh, my, my journey. You know, when I started getting into more and more detox therapies, the sweating, sweat therapies and pensanas are good. Uh, exercise is good. Any kind of sweating is good. I, I got into intestinal binders, and then I, I finally got into the liposomal glutathione, which I think is really tough. We're still talking about mercury out. And you'll find you'll have you know, fibromyalgia-type symptoms. Uh, you'll have 
maybe some headaches. I had headaches early on when I was detoxing. You'll find you have fatigue. Maybe you have a, a lack of stamina. Uh, you'll have definitely, you'll have uh, short-term memory problems. We call it early morning brain fog. I used to eat handfuls of raw coriander because I liked the taste of it. I knew it was good for detox. But 10 years ago, I didn't know that taking coriander will remove mercury out of the tissues and bring it into the blood. Once mercury is traveling around, redistributed throughout the body, in the blood, it lodges in other places, and one particular is the brain. It can create digestive issues, memory problems, uh, headaches, brain, uh, and also muscle aches. I had a lot of like, aches throughout my entire body from mercury redistributing, and, and, and even uh, sometimes I'd have recurrent problems with insomnia. So you keep having to take those minerals, such as magnesium, calcium, potassium, but you really need a hair test to find out which minerals you're deficient in and how the mercury is being excreted. You'll see it in your hair test, the mercury will be much higher as you're detoxing because it's brought out from the tissues, such as the kidney, liver, and the brain into the blood. And that's where the hair fibers pick up the mercury levels. And that's a record of several weeks of mercury in the blood is what the hair sample re represents. Well, should people use hair tests or should they use blood tests? You know, what's yeah. the, uh, the visibility for both? Right. That's, uh, that's an excellent question. It's more of an advanced question. Generally, what happens is if you're mercury toxic it's being, and you're detoxing, it's being pulled out of the tissues in the blood and the hair test will pick it up. The hair test will pick up mineral deficiencies. If we go way back to the 80s, a fellow by the name of Dr. Andrew Cutler was writing books on mineral deficiencies and how they were created from from mercury toxicity. So hair tests represent mercury in the blood over time. Also, if you're excreting mercury through the urine, you'll see it in your urinary test, but if you're not excreting mercury from urine, it means that you're not a good excreter of mercury. And if you're mercury toxic, it'll show, still show up in the hair test. You may not be excreting it through the urine. And the blood test is just a single snapshot, you know, of an instant of time where a hair test is really looking at weeks at a time and of course, uh, going back to and Dr. Andrew Cutler, he was a chemist that put together the idea that if we had deranged mineral transport or minerals that were out of whack in the body, that was the main contributor to disease. And this was further picked up by Dr. Joel Wallach, who is a naturopath. He's pretty famous now for his longevity products and all that. And he stated that the main, uh, the main problem, uh, instance of disease, what causes chronic disease is mineral deficiency. And he did 80,000 autopsies of animals and, and humans as well and figured out that this chronic all these chronic diseases they were having was a result from mineral deficiencies that they had acquired. And of course, the second theory of disease is that the breakdown of cell membranes, and cell membranes are breaking down because of lack of good fats in the diet. That's another theory of disease. And when the cell membranes break down, you can't really transport minerals in and out of cells and issues and it further complicates the problems associated with toxicity including mercury. So how do people um, identify that they might have a problem? What tests should they get? How do they get yeah. this started? Yeah, so the symptoms of mercury toxicity are just incredibly varied as I mentioned many of them. You could have kidney problems, you know there's 200,000 people who have somebody else's kidney walking, they're walking around the United States and millions of people are getting kidney dialysis every year. So if you have kidney problems you just definitely look at mercury air test and so on. You know, if you have short-term memory loss, brain fog, muscle aches, uh, joint problems, fatigue, and just a lack of stamina, uh, there's just so many symptoms. If we go into more uh, acute toxicity symptoms, or even hair loss and tooth loss and saliva, salivation, which is excessive saliva is like the use experience, or how about shaking, the hatter shakes. Remember, the first person who was ever identified as mercury toxic was a hatter 
Well, they back in the day in 1850, uh, hatters, people that made hats and cleaned hats used mercury nitrate. Mercury nitrate gave off mercury gas and then inhaled it. They became crazy. If you were going to refer to somebody back in 1850 as crazy, you didn't say crazy. You'd say, oh, well, they're mad as a hatter. This person's mad as a hatter. And they, everybody knew what that meant because hatters were crazy. And they had something called hatter shakes. And that's where the, the hatter would have these old tremors. And that's just basically mercury accumulating the serotonin and creating uncontrollable uh, tremors is just interfering with neural processes of movement and coordination and creating neurotransmitters and properly functioning neurotransmitters. And so this was really Parkinson's disease, these shakes that these guys were developing. So that was an indication of the symptoms of mercury toxicity way back in the day. You're mad as a hatter. Of course, it creates depression and it creates anxiety and it creates all kinds of mental illness because of the problems getting into the brain and, and causing these toxicities and breakdown of neural fibers and creating Lewy bodies, which are proteins which interfere with neural transmission. So if you've got all these different symptoms, then you really need to look at mercury toxicity. It's one of the most underrepresented underrepresented forms of uh, chronic disease in the human body. And I think it's one of the biggest causes of chronic disease today, rising in the atmosphere, rising in the environment, increasing in in concentrations in fish and whales, all that information is out there. Don't take my word for it. Go look at the research yourself. Read my book. Look at my videos. I've got 70 videos on YouTube that describe mercury toxicity and, and investigate. Really, the responsibility lies in on you. You have you have to take responsibility for your health and determine what's wrong with you because basically uh, modern medicine just ignores heavy metal toxicity. Uh, they just think, oh well, you'll get rid of it. Well, you know, a third of us excrete mercury very poorly. And if you're inflamed with all kinds of other toxins, such as glyphosate, now 20 years ago, people said, ah, glyphosate's not that bad. But now people are suing uh, the people that make glyphosate and getting billions of dollars for it. So apparently it's bad. Hey, go figure it. And so these toxicities add to inflammation in the human body and compound the problems with mercury toxicity. So you really need to look into uh, mineral deficiencies and mercury toxicity. It's up to you. It's up to you because there's the information is is not readily readily found or readily acquired. You have to really look into it and be responsible for your own health, what you what you eat and what you supplement with and how you get rid of toxins on your diet and how you test for them. Tell me tell me the name of your book again and where people can get it. Sure. Uh, the name of the book is Mercury the Ultimate Truth and Chronic Disease. You get it on Amazon. Although some people tell me they can't find it on Amazon or the Amazon it's unavailable on Amazon, which I thought was pretty darn funny. So you have to contact me on my website and I'll get you a copy. Electronic or the regular book. Oh, and what's your website? The website is newaquatechpanama.com. So that's N-E-W-A-Q-U-A-T-E-C-H, Panama, P-A-N-A-M-A.com. And then you'll find all my re recent articles on aquaculture, organic aquaculture. I run an organic aquaculture farm where we grow large, fresh, organic shrimp delivered directly to our customers here in Boquete, Panama. And so oh, wow. we grow organic shrimp uh, direct, delivered directly to clients. Restaurants are just starting to open now from the, the coronavirus. And also I work right technology for five days a week, you know, curing people from chronic disease, including the coronavirus. It's kind of a weak virus. I've killed it uh, with biofeedback scans using Spooky2 technology. I have two interviews with the inventor of the Spooky2 software, John Wright. He's an awesome guy. I really like him. And then I also write articles, books, and I teach online. I teach an online course in aquaculture known as Basics of Aquaculture. And I cover all the main topics that you need to know to really be proficient in engaging in aquaculture, and in particular, aquaponics. Aquaponics is basically growing fish and plants together, which are complementary. The plants absorb nitrogen, 
if there's great nitrogen and, and plants basically clean the water you get to harvest fresh fruits and vegetables from fish waste from the nitrogen produced from fish and you get to harvest the fish itself so it's very an efficient form of aquaculture and I, that's really popular i just interviewed the father of aquaponics dr jennifer posey who graduated from the same school i did 20, 20 years earlier and he had some amazing things to say you'll find that article on my website it's going to be published in probably a day or two and uh, i just did an article uh, uh interview from john white and, and that was on aquaponics and that's on my uh my website as well so the website youtube videos articles all over the place animals 24 7 and seven seas media and the fish site.com i'm all over the all over the internet okay very good well bill thanks for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it well thank you richard for having me and i'd love to come back again as soon as we can do it if you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.